Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Edith Devaney. I'm a contemporary curator here at the Royal Academy and have worked with David Hockney on this exhibition. And I want to talk a little bit today about this show and how this show actually developed and talking about his technique, but also described how much portraiture has been part of his output since the earliest days. And I started off with this photograph, which gives you a, literally gives you an insight into his LA studio. And this is the hot seat. This is the chair where all of the sitters sat. And you see it on a platform with steps leading up to it. And um, you can see one of the partially finished portraits at the side. But lots of other work there besides. I mean, David has got this um, habit of, of, I mean, he was concentrating on this body of work. But at the same time, there were other things going on as well. You know, his interest in photography never wanes. And you can see behind the curtain that he's had these um, photographic experimentations of um, of, of uh, card players um, and, and of Suzanne's card players and recreating that um, in, in photography, but playing around with perspective and doing lots of reverse perspective within it. But it's just it's just very nice to get a sense of you know what the studio setup is. And I wanted to start with one of David's earliest portraits. This is a self-portrait of himself when he was a student at Bradford. It was a lithograph, and it was done in 1954, um, and he was 17 at the time. And there's something just incredibly mature about it. It's not just the, the technique. I mean, you can see the clarity of the line, the wonderful things like, you know, the, um, the, the shadowing on the shirt, the reflection in the, in the spectacles. You, you, you already have that sense of someone who's really, it, it has got mastery over the technique but it's that interest in portraiture as well it's it's that is that um, desire to to really interrogate the subject this this interest in 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 humanity and what it means and and the interest in how one projects oneself and he was still living at home at this stage but at Bradford School of Art and of course he turned to his family as well for other subjects for interrogation and this is one of his father done the next year this is in 1955 and done in oil paint and I remember when I worked with David on the landscape exhibition in 2012 we included a couple of student works again very very accomplished as this is too and he did note that when he was when he was that age when he was 17 18 they had so little money and and you know the students weren't working they were concentrating all of their time was concentrated on their on their producing their artwork and consequently they tended to buy very low quality paint and and the the, the painted surface is possibly not as fresh as you know so, something that was painted at the same time in a better quality paint and um, which is not the case for the acrylics that he's done recently they will keep their vibrant color davis has always been very interested in um, not only the process but the materials as well so he does a lot of research on on types of acrylic and oils and just going back to the composition of this portrait, it's a very, I mean, again, it doesn't feel like the, a portrait painted by an 18-year-old. It feels much more, it's not only the accomplishment, but somehow it's much more knowing. That there's, there's much more of a sense of him trying to, to interrogate his father's um, uh, personality as well and, and, and for that to come out in the work. But the style is, is, is similar to a lot of the, the style of his teachers, you know, two generations older than him at the time. That kind of influence of the London school is, is very present here. And then jumping forward several years, this was done in, in 1988. Again, it's oil on canvas, but you see the freshness, you see the looseness. By this stage, he has, you know, he's, he's found his own voice for, for the last 20 years. It's his own artistic voice. 
And, and um, Henry um, Geldsager was um, a curator at the Metropolitan Museum and a great friend of David's and a great champion of his work. And, and David has painted him many times, so it feels actually this captures Henry's um, personality best. And I was speaking to him about it recently. Um, Together we were going through um, images of, of, of previous portraits in preparation for this exhibition. And I pointed to this one, I said, you know, how long would it have taken you to do that? Just thinking of the timing of the, um, the, the, this more, more recent body. And he said that was probably two days work, I mean two days intensive work to produce this. And I just thought we'd go back to landscapes just to describe um, my, my starting point with David, um, but also really to, 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 to describe the, the, um, the, the, the various genres that he, um, he, he works with. I mean, he says, as uh, a wry comment on, on art and abstraction, he says, really, there's only three types of painting. There's, there's landscape, portraiture, and still life. And, and now that we've, we've got our portrait exhibition on here with one still life, we've covered all three in the last four years, which I think is just amazing. So where do we go next? But this was very much the starting point for me. I had known David for um, a number of years. He's a Royal Academician and has been since the 1980s and had worked with him um, on elements to do with the summer exhibition and, and, and other things. But this was really where we got to know each other very well. I knew that he was back in Yorkshire. He was painting. By that stage, he'd done those uh, paintings of the early 90s of Garraby Hill in that series, but had gone on to, to paint on plein air, as he called it. So he was out in the landscape painting in oil paint. And he called me in um, the, the beginning of the year in 2007 and said, could you possibly, knowing that I look after the summer exhibition as well, could you possibly reserve that end wall for me in Gallery 3? And of course, Gallery 3 is the biggest of our main galleries, and it is seen within the summer exhibition to be the best wall to hang on. It's the most prominent wall, and you get that wonderful distance. Um, no mean feat, really, to secure that wall, because we've got over 100 academicians, all of whom I think would love to hang in that end wall. But we managed to, to, to promise it to David so that he was able to produce this work. So from February to the opening of the exhibition, which was, was um, April, or when we hung the exhibition, he executed this work in several panels on plein air, and he measured it so that it fitted that the whole end wall very, very snugly, and that you could read it at a distance. That was another thing that was very important for him. And we had lots of conversations throughout his execution of this work, which was a phenomenal thing to do. And he was able to work out, you know, how to, how to marry up the panels, how to take several panels out at a time and work on them while the paint was still wet. And he'd got all of that worked out. Um, but we had many conversations about what this means for landscape and how these larger paintings are challenging the way that we see landscape. And, you know, one of the things he pointed out was, you know, when you think about the traditional landscape, it's a painting that's about this size. So it is quite literally the sense of looking through a window. You're looking through a window size frame into a landscape. By doing something this big, you're immersing yourself in it, you're becoming part of the landscape, so your relationship with it has altered. And when, um, something that no one else saw, but at the end of the exhibition, he had wanted to experiment, and we took everything else in the show and those long side walls out, 
he had made two copies exactly the same size as this that we put in the side wall. So you were surrounded in that room with um, three images, one of them real, the other two replicas. But it gave a sense of how immersive it could be. And it was after that that we developed this idea of having the, the landscape exhibition. When I've been speaking to him more recently about portraiture, I asked him the same question that I've asked him about landscape. I said, are you challenging people's perception of portraiture with this exhibition in the same way as you did for landscape? And he, he conceded that he was. He was asking people to look again at this genre, which a lot of people would now find rather old-fashioned. That was our starting point, which led to the wonderful exhibition we had here in 2012. We offered to, um, well, once we offered him the exhibition, he had to fill the galleries, and he only had about a third of the work by the time we offered it to him to do that, and he knew that he was going to have to work very, very hard to fill the rest of the space, and, and he did so in the most extraordinary way. But after that exhibition, David was very, he was completely exhausted. You know, he'd worked tirelessly from 2007 to 2012 to, to produce the exhibition. It was, it was um, a magnificent success at the Academy, and it went on to tour in Bilbao and then Cologne. But after, after it was up, he, um, he went through that, that um, period of kind of melancholy once you've worked very hard towards something and then it's done, and what do you, what do, you do next? Um, and he also had a, a minor stroke, which affected his speech. It didn't affect his ability to draw, um, but it did affect his speech, and it, 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 it set him back. Um, and and what, he, what he turned to, because he always has to work, what he turned to was portraiture. And I thought it was very interesting that after that, it, you're looking at the expanse of the landscape, he was coming back to something much more intimate. And two of the people he painted, uh, he drew, were Margaret, his sister. And this is a beautiful drawing of Margaret. David has actually done this from his bed, and Margaret is sitting in a chair at the end of his bed. So it's a kind of indication how exhausted he was and how, um, how, how poorly he was feeling. There is a wonderful intensity to it, and she's, she's looking straight back at him. And then one of his brother, John, sitting in this patterned armchair, arms folded, quite, quite, um, quite a strong portrait. And then David suffered another um, very difficult situation when a young studio assistant died, and he was, he was completely devastated by it. And in the end, once, you know, once everything, the funeral had happened and, and he, he comforted the bereaved family, he decided to go back to Los Angeles. He had never really felt that he had moved back to Bridlington. He always called it, he was on location. Um, he was on location there for a number of years and he went back to Los Angeles in, in early 2000, in the spring of 2013. And I had been one of those lucky people that um, used to receive from him ever since he got an iPhone. He was the first person I ever knew who got an iPhone. And he insisted I get one at the same time. So great expense I did. But I was glad I did because what he, was, what he did was send me, I wasn't the only person, but he sent me um, little bunches of flowers on the iPhone every, every morning. So you'd wake up and switch on your phone and you'd see this, this wonderful um, little drawing from, from David. And then he started also sending images of his, of the works he was executing so I was very used to getting these images coming through and it was the way we kept in touch with them throughout the the, the, um, the execution of work throughout the landscape exhibition but when he then moved back to um, back to Los Angeles after this this series of, of very very difficult events I got nothing there was nothing that came through and I anyone who knows David well knows that if he's not working he's he's not he's not he's not terribly happy and I knew that he was, he was um, going through a very bad time. And then in July, this came through. 
and it's a picture of Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre is a studio assistant. Jean-Pierre was, was, was also at Bridlington and worked with him then and, and, and very much uh, felt you know, the, the difficulties that David experienced with the death of Dominic. And um, in the subject line in the email, David said, this is a, this is a portrait of Jean-Pierre, but it could be a self-portrait. So he was really describing how he was, was feeling um, and that kind of absolute kind of despair of head in hands. And he looked at Jean-Pierre sitting in the studio and thought, well, actually, that's how I feel. And quite unusually for David, he rushed out to the store and bought a very cheap canvas. He's always very keen on, I, I mentioned before about the paints, he's always very keen on, on, um, on using very good materials. But he bought a cheap canvas and, um, and was compelled to paint this. Um, and there's something about, you know, the, the choice of rug at, at, at his feet. It's, um, it reminds me very much of Edvard Munch's, um, who we know paints despair better than anyone else, his, um, the, the bedspread in between the clock and the bed. That, so the, 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 you know, the, the, there's things that point back to past masters. And of course, the one that it really points to more than anyone else is Van Gogh. And David became aware, as soon as he pa started painting this, actually, um, that it, of its similarity to Van Gogh's um, Old Man in Sorrow um, at the Threshold of Eternity. And it's exactly the same pose, the feet apart, the, the, the elbows resting on the legs, and, the, and the, the head and hands, or fists in this case, with the dying embers by the side. You know, there is that real sense that, you know, and the, 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 um, the title describes it, that this is the end of his life, that this is a man in despair who is not going to be with us for very much longer. But Van Gogh's um, belief in God, he had a very, very um, firm belief in God, that um, there was going to be redemption. And interestingly, you know, David's pa David doesn't, isn't, isn't a believer in that way at all, but, you know, David's painting does bring him back to, to form again, so it does have a redemptive quality to it. But just going back to David's painting, he um, executed it in acrylic, and he had used acrylic before, but not for about 20 years. And it's very typical of him to, um, to, to, to pick up either a new medium or revisit an old one and, and train himself to, 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 to work well in it. And so this is, this is him kind of getting used to acrylic again. I mean, what he loves about acrylic is, you know, its vibrancy. It holds color very well. But one of the, the, the pluses, but is also a difficulty, is that it dries so quickly. But there's a lot of detail here, not only the mat that Jean-Pierre's feet are on, but the, the, the sense of the floor and the, the wall behind. There's quite a lot of kind of um, textured working of the paint. But also, we're looking down on the figure. David always stands to paint, so he's higher than Jean-Pierre and is looking down at the figure. And you saw in the, the first photograph that the chair is actually on a platform. And he realized very soon, actually, after this one, that what he needed to do these portraits properly was to have the sitter at eye level to him. And then the next one is Bing. Bing McGilvray is a very close friend of David's. And Bing appears more than anyone else in the exhibition. He's, he's there three times. And the reason for that is not just that Bing's a very good friend and David enjoys his company and enjoys painting him, but Bing comes to stay for quite long periods of time when the rest of the, um, David's team, like Jean-Pierre or, or, or Gregory Evans, are away traveling on business. Um, David likes to have company and, and, and Bing is the always, always the one that comes. So he's often at David's disposal and David likes to paint. So Bing is, is, is often a very willing subject. 
And it's, it's, even if you just look at Bing within the exhibition, he, he occurs right at the beginning here. He's the second one in. There's one pretty much at the middle, and then there's one quite late. And you can really get a sense, just looking at the portraits of Bing, of, of David's development of this series. But the thing you'll also notice is that, unusually, this is the only one where the feet aren't shown. And David has always liked to educate himself in public. You know, not only is he, is he getting used to using acrylic again, but he's also experimenting with this form. And he wanted to include this one because he said, as soon as I painted it, I realized that the feet are important and cutting them off, actually you lose quite a lot because there's something very personal about feet. It's not just the footwear that each person decides to wear, but it's the way they position their feet that gives away a lot about their personality. So by including this one, he's actually highlighting the fact that the others, um, the others, the feet are, are shown in all of the others, and it is quite an effective way of, of, of demonstrating the whole person. And this is Larry Gagosian. So again, it's one of the earlier ones. And, and here, David hasn't quite hit his formula. When you look at the, if any of you have been up to the exhibition, by the time you hit the second gallery, there is this regularity between the colored backgrounds. He's already decided here that they're going to be very neutral so that all of the focus is on the person. But the purple is, is um, I think there's only two painted in this slightly purplish color. Larry Gagosian, for anyone who, who doesn't know, is a, 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 a gallery owner, and um, Gagosian galleries are, are in ev every major city now in the US and Europe. And um, David has known him from, I think, for several decades. Um, and he's, he's wonderful at, at depicting these power figures. Uh, and, and Larry is a very, uh, a very commanding personality. Jonathan Mills, again, this is rather an early one, but Jonathan Mills is a studio assistant. And already you're seeing, you know, you've got his friend, Bing, Larry Gagosian, Jonathan Mills, he's completely democratic in the people that he chooses to paint. He's not interested in, in celebrities. He's interested in people that are around him and his friends. And he talks about my friends and my celebrities, which I think is such a, a, lovely, a lovely comment. And Joan Quinn is, um, Joan Quinn is a society person in Los Angeles. She has been a friend to many artists and she's very much involved and has been for some time in the art scene. And she is, she's, she's, rather, she's rather wonderful in the way she presents herself. And, and she was unbelievably excited that David um, asked her to sit for him. And uh, she, she wore all her finery. And in fact, at the opening last week, she came dressed in that exact outfit. And it was a very bizarre experience to see Joan walking around as if she stepped off the canvas. There was something slightly Harry Potterish about it all. And by the time he gets to Gregory Evans, I, I, I feel that he's really hit form. He, he knows exactly what he wants to do. The, the background is pared down and is, is um, you know, again, we, do, we have these two colors that kind of flip between um, the, the blues and the greens and turquoises. But it's, you know, the neutrality of that just draws attention to the figure itself. Um, and that's pretty much where I came in. By the time, so he was sending me through images of, of all of these works that he was doing. And by the time he got to about 20, I thought, gosh, you know, having seen the starting point of Jean-Pierre, which I thought was unbelievably interesting, and then what followed, I really thought that there was, there was you know, it, it looked as if it was going to shape up into being quite a fantastic series. But I didn't know how many he was planning to paint. I don't think he knew that himself. He was just, you know, compelled to continue and was really enjoying it. 
And um, I spoke to the exhibitions committee here and showed them the images, and then I went over to see him. And you know, there is something extraordinary standing in front of the works once you've you, you know, and, and seen them, um, sort of eye to eye. Um, after having seen just just smaller images of them. And that's a point at which we talked about the possibility of a Sackler show. And he was delighted at the idea of, of uh, having this challenge um, to, to carry on painting to fill the space. And what, what's remarkable about David is, you know, he is, he's so undaunted by challenge. He seeks it out and he loves it. And, you know, he's, he's going to be 79 next week. And, um, you know, for, for someone of that age to say, yes, I can, I can do that. I, 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 can, I, can, I can fill the Sackler galleries with new work. And this is all the work of two and a half years. So it was, it was all done in a very short space of time. What's interesting looking at individual portraits is their relationship to David. And there is this variety between people who he knows very well and has painted before and people who kind of just pass through his life in a more um, a, a kind of less engaged way. And Gregory Evans is someone that has known David for, for quite some time. Gregory was his partner in the 1970s and has stayed with him as his studio manager. So he manages the whole kind of Hockney um, studio and office and, and, and everything like that. And he is very relaxed in David's company. You can see that and he kind of looks, looks back at him in that, that sort of very relaxed way. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's, he's, he's so used to being painted. And John Baldessari, again, another power figure. John, John Baldessari is um, very, uh, very famous conceptual artist who lives on the West Coast. Um, he's possibly one of the most celebrated artists in Los Angeles and has known David for several decades. Since David's first started uh, visiting Los Angeles in the 1960s, John has been a friend of his. And what the chair does, everyone sits in the same chair, and what the ch chair does is give a sense of scale to each of the people. And when John sits in a chair, he makes it look very small because John is, is um, I think he's six foot seven. Um, so he's absolutely enormous. And David has really captured that ranginess of his legs and the, and the hands. And you, you get a real sense of John's intelligence. And there is a kind of difference in the, in the portraits, as I said before, the people he knows well and the people he doesn't know quite so well. And of course, he understands John. He, he's, he's so interested in John's work and his humor. His work is completely different to David's. But David's always been very engaged in John's humor and deep intelligence. And I think that's something that really shines out here. And I said before that, you know, it, it, David was in a, a very depleted state. And, and you can see by the, 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 the growing confidence within the pictures that he's really kind of working his way back to form. I think what was also really important for him was having people come to the studio. He's a very gregarious person. But he's got this terrible hearing difficulty, so he finds parties and dinners and gatherings very difficult because all he hears is this wall of noise and can't distinguish voices. But he's fine one-to-one. -one. So he was having his friends and acquaintances come to the studio and, and really enjoy their company. Um, so, so there would always be a lunch, and you know, he, would, he would love to particularly talk to someone like John over lunch about, about the art world in L.A. and everything else that was going on. And this is Dagny Corcoran, who, um, who, who is involved in publishing and works at um, LA County Museum. Again, someone that David has known for quite some time. So all of the canvases, of course, are the same size. Um, everyone sits in the same chair on the same platform, so therefore subjected to exactly the same light. And the other thing to note is that um, every, everyone was executed within three days, apart from t 
two. Um, one of them being Larry Gagosian, who could only um, give two days, and the other, Lord Rothschild, because they're very busy men. But everyone else gave three days of their time. And David decided on that number because he said, well, I'm asking people to come and sit. And I figured that three days really was as much as you could ask for because it's a weekend and then a day off work. So he felt that was reasonable. And everyone has been invited. So, so none of these works have been commissioned, which is very important for him. So the sitters have all come with no expectations apart from sitting for David. So they've got no, um, because they're not paying for the work, they're not, they're not expecting to be flattered or, you know, they're not like society portraits as something else. They're much more real because, you know, everyone is sitting um, at, at David's request for three days. And I just wanted to look back at some of his earlier series, just to point out that portraiture has always played a major part in his, um, in his output, but that he's also worked in series many times. This isn't the first portrait series that he did. So this is, um, this is Mr. and Mrs. Clark and Percy, and Percy is the cat. And in fact, David loves telling the story that Percy was called something else like Snowy, and, and David just thought that was such a rotten name to put in the title. I think they had another cat called Percy, but it wasn't the one that he painted. But he, he called it Percy, and of course now the painting and the title have become iconic. Um, and he's very good at titles. I, I was very interested recently when Jonathan Jones was talking about a new film out that was called um, A Bigger Splash. And actually, I was staying with David when, it, when he, he wrote his article and put it in front of him. And he talked about David's poetry when he, um, when he, he uh, thinks of titles. And he was, David was rather amused by that. But there's something poetic about this title. And indeed, the decision for the title for um, 82 Portraits and One Still Life is, is pure David. It all came from him. I can't take any credit for that at all. And it very much is an indication of his humor. But just going back to this portrait, this comes from a series of double portraits that he did um, starting in the late 1960s. And I think that this might be the last one, which, which um, was painted in 1970-71 and is now in the Tate's collection. And um, he was very interested in getting people who have a relationship with each other and was also, um, which I can, is sort of an indication of his interest in people, which, you know, we see in, in, in this show. Um, and, and he loved to, to try, uh, he loved to um, depict tensions when they were there. And of course, Celia and Ozzy had rather a troubled marriage, which, um, which ended soon after this portrait was, was finished. Um, again, it was done in acrylic. And it took a year to complete. So when you think of how quickly he's doing the portraits now, he's, he's, he's doing much more sketchy portraits in three days, but this took about a year to complete. And he had to use photography as an aid um, to help him do it because there's, there's no way that they would be able to give up that amount of time. And then this is another series which I thought was quite pertinent and therefore I've included. It's, um, it's 112 LA visitors. Um, which was done in 1990 and 91, and this is a detail of it, and these are all stills from videos. So what he decided to do is this project where he photographed everyone who visited the studio, and again, it's part of his democracy, so there'll be museum directors in here, other, other famous artists, but also the guy who's come to do the garden, and you know, the, the, the person who's done the laundry, and, and so, so all of them are, are here as well. And then there was the photographic series, um, which he did uh, in 1982. So this is, this is his mother. This is one of my favorites from this series. So it, it's, it, again, it's playing with perspective, something that he continues to do now. But this is a series of photographs which he's put together. And um, you can see the feet 
I don't know if you're able to spot the feet at the bottom, and those are actually David's feet as he's holding the camera. And this was a very rainy day at Bolton Abbey, and he used to bring his mother there often um, because it's where um, David's father first proposed to her, so it had very sentimental meaning to him, and I think he's very emotionally attached to this, um, to this portrait of his mother, as indeed he was to his mother. And then there was this remarkable series, which came out of his study of, um, of Angra's drawings and the camera lucida. So in 1999, he, um, he's, he's fascinated by um, the work of other artists. And you know, I, I talked about Van Gogh at the beginning. And often he will, um, he, he goes to as many exhibitions as he can and he reads about art history all the time and his knowledge is, is, um, is, is fantastic. And he was he's very interested in Angra's drawings and, and was looking at one in, at the National Gallery. And there were many clues there as to how Angra had executed it. And one of the things he noted about Angra's drawings was, you know, given their scale, the, some, of the, some of the portrait drawings are very small. As, a, as an accomplished artist and draftsman himself, he noticed that there was no, what he calls, groping for the line. There seemed to be this absolute surety in how he described the line that then described the, the features of the people. And there was a great sense sense of accuracy. And he did a lot of research into this, which ended up with him writing a book, The Secret Knowledge, and doing a television program with the same title. And his argument was that actually not only Angra, but as a, a number of the old masters used a camera lucida. So they used a, a lens to help them in execute these, these portrait drawings. And David pointed out that, you know, it, it, they weren't cheating. He didn't see this as cheating. He says the lens won't draw the line for you. You still have to be able to draw. But what it does is it pinpoints the key features which aids you in, in the execution of, of the drawing. And as part of an exhibition at the National Gallery, he did a series of drawings in this way, so they're, they're remarkably accurate, um, of the security guards, where he's used gouache body wash as well to, um, to create their uniforms. But he was telling me about it recently. We were talking about this particular series, and he said, you know, what I did as well, and I thought it was important, I invited them all around for tea. I mean, how thrilling for, for, for these guards. So David invited them all around for tea because he wanted to see their faces um, in, in it's it kind of mobilized. He wanted to see how they, how they conducted themselves and how they talked to give himself more of an insight into their personalities, which I think is very revealing about the way he likes to work. And it is unusual for him to, to draw people that he doesn't know particularly well. And then back to the portraits upstairs, this is um, Merle Glick. And, and wonderfully, David has, has you know, in the back of the catalog, he talks a little bit about each of the sitters as very much in his own, his own words. And sadly, Merle, is no longer with us and he was very ill when he sat for this portrait for David. He was David's dentist and David's comment in Merle is he had beautiful teeth. And he was also Sammy Davis Jr's dentist who also had beautiful teeth. It's a wonderful kind of rendering of an old man and the, the checked shirt. One of the things that David has said about the portraits was that um, he was, he was amazed when he was halfway through about how varied everyone's clothing was. He was very determined that people decided what they wore because he saw that very much as a reflection of their, their different personalities. And he commented that, you know, in, 19, in the 1950s, if he'd been doing it then, people might have been dressed much more similarly. You know, all of the men would be wearing formal suits and maybe the women would be a little bit more formally attired. But um, now anything, anything is, is possible. So people were wearing very different clothes. I think as well, you know, it's LA, it's always good weather there, so there is more flesh than you would get maybe if he was doing it in, um, in Bridlington.
And again, you know, very casually dressed, this wonderful one of a, a young artist who has um, who's become a friend of David's, an Israeli artist, called um, Avner Kaim. Um, and, you know, David loved his T-shirt. He had the Just Do It Nike T-shirt, and David was, was um, delighted with that. And again, you get the slightly scruffy trainers, which tell you so much about the person. And he's slightly, you know, I met him for the first time at the opening, and, and you know, this, this so much described to me his personality. And this is Lord Rothschild. I said before that um, David had to paint Lord Rothschild in two days. And it's a very, very good portrait. And I, I said to David, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, I knew I had to. When you know you have to, you can, you, you can do it. You can, you can do it if you know you have to do it. And this is another fabulous one. This is Rita Pinos, who is um, an elderly lady um, who got dressed up. She was obviously a little bit like Joan Quinn. She was very excited about being painted, and she, she dressed up in all of her finery. And I said to David, was, was the skirt a challenge? And he said, well, it was interesting to see it. And he said, and when I, I realized it's nature, I, 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 I realized too that I, I had to do it very quickly because as soon as she got up and moved, the whole, all of the folds were going to, were going to change on it. But it's, you know, it's very reminiscent of something that you would expect in a Veronese painting and to achieve something like that in three days is quite extraordinary. And I have to talk about the fruit and the bench, which gives, it, gives the exhibition its wonderful title. I think, too, it, I mean, when I saw this work, I, I said to David, you've got to include it. It's just it's so beautiful. Um, and he, he's pleased with it. He likes it. Um, but I think its inclusion also gives the visitor a bit of an insight as to how he paints and how he psychs himself up. And when he prepares to paint someone's portrait, they're all booked into the diary, these portraits. So um, Jean-Pierre helped him. And once David decided who he wanted to paint, Jean-Pierre would help him book all of these appointments. And often David, to suit other people's diaries, would work nine days in a row. You know, he did three, three portraits in a row, which is quite punishing for, some, for anyone, let alone someone in their 70s. Um, but for a very good reason, one of the sitters was unable to turn up. David was all ready to paint. He had his canvas ready. He was psyched up. Um, and uh, they weren't able to come, and he had to, he had to carry on painting, so he looked around the studio to what was, avail what was available and, and painted this, which I think is, is just very beautiful. And it just, just breaks up the flow in one of the galleries as well. The position of the chair was the only thing that David really determined. Um, and one of the interesting things he did when he was um, painting was that each portrait, um, once he painted it, he put it on the wall. And he, he'd have about five or six on the wall at any one time, and then they would go off to be packed and stored because there wasn't enough room in the studio. But during the execution of each of the paintings he was working on, he'd put it at the end after the run of the ones he'd just done. Um, just to see how it compared and to see what the contrast was like. And he was, very, he was very focused on making sure that the chair was in a different orientation for each one so that it wasn't, it wasn't kind of this, that wasn't one of the, the repetitions within the, within the works. And this is Morris Payne, who David has known for, for many, many years. Morris Payne is a master printmaker who has helped David make some of his prints that he did, particularly during the 70s. And 
you know, David talks about painting what he sees. He paints what's in front of him. He doesn't flatter. And all of his, his friends and acquaintances who sit for him know that. And he commented on Morris, who's now in his 70s. He says, you know, Morris still dresses like a young man. So all of, all of the frailties are present there. They're very honest depictions of people. And one of the things I did note when I was in the studio, surrounded by a number of the portraits, was how accurate he is at depicting people, people's ages. You get a really good sense exactly what age people are by David's paintings. And the twins, I mean, like Fruit and a Bench, it's another one that just slightly changes it. And of course, there's 82 canvases in the exhibition, and this counts for two portraits. So that's why you get, you know, 82 portraits and one still alive. And these are twins of a, a very good friend of his. And David talks about the people that sat for him. He said, they're people that I know, friends, acquaintances, but also the children of friends. And these are uh, twin boys. I think they're about 20, 19, 20. One of them's very sporty, the other not so much. Um, and uh, David really enjoyed um, painting them and getting to know them as well. And I thought I'd include this one. This is the, the studio, cleared out a little bit with a picture of the twins at the end of it with the two chairs, um, which would have been on the platform earlier. And this is David looking at them. And I, I just wanted to note that although he talks about these lasting, uh, him painting for three days, and um, there are 20 hours of exposure, you know, he, he, he's actually making a comment on photography by saying these are 20 hours of exposure. He does look at the painting all the time. And when he's finished for the day, he'll take a photograph of where he's got to and look at it all night. So that's on his iPad. So the next morning, he knows exactly where to go to. And, you know, to a great extent, this whole series is a comment on photography and a comment on the endless selfies and um, images of people that we get on Facebook. And, and you know, he's, he's really saying, actually, it's, it, a portrait is so much more than that. It's about the inner life as well as just the, the snapshot of someone's outward appearance. Barry Humphreys who is one of the, the, the celebrities, but an unintentional celebrity for David. David's actually known Barry for a long, long time. Barry's a very cultured person who's got a fantastic art collection and um, is very knowledgeable. And he, he wonderfully flamboyant in his, in his dress with his kipper tie and his uh, pink trousers. But there's, I mean, David has really captured that intelligent twinkle in his eye. You know, you can see that he's a, a very amusing and amused person. Richard Benefield is, a, is a, a, an exhibition curator from San Francisco. Ha, hasn't known David all that long, but, but you know, um, sees him regularly over the, has seen him regularly over the past few years. And Margaret. Margaret Hockney is David's sister, and there's something very tender about the portraits that he did of his family. We saw the drawing of her earlier when David was, was, was unwell, and this is, this is Margaret coming to visit him in Los Angeles. She really enjoyed him being in Yorkshire when he was painting the landscape series, and this was the first time she'd seen him in LA for quite some time. And there's something very warm about it. She's, she's such a, a contented and confident sitter. She's, she's used to it, but she's just so much enjoying being in her brother's company. And you can feel that affection between them. Um, and, and when David sent this one through to me, he said, I think she looks like a Dutch peasant. It's kind of wonderful. And there is something, there is something really wonderful about it. And, and even down to the shoes, they're slightly um, Paul Gauguin, um, just picking up the Dutch peasant. 
And another very good one, this is um, Pierre Saint-Jean, who again is an academic who's known David for some time. And there's a real intensity to this. He's a very intelligent person. And um, his concentration has been, has been rewarded within this depiction. And Celia, of course. So Celia was the subject of Mr. and Mrs. Clark and Percy and is the nearest to David uh, David has come to having a female muse. And I thought I'd include this, which is from another series of paintings done in 1988 in Malibu. Um, David used to have a weekend place in Malibu and um, tiny studio there. And he... Um, he, he, he decided that he wanted to try and look again at all of his friends and family's faces to, to picture them again. And he did these very quick, I think quicker than, well, they're just the heads, but um, he, he executed these incredibly quickly. And this is kind of wonderfully fresh and vibrant of, of Celia. And I think that's something that you see in this group of portraits. When you look at Celia's uh, more recent portrait, again, this was done in three days like all of the others. And because they're done so quickly, there is that freshness to them. Although no one can hold a pose, not like a photograph in, in these. So there is kind of more honesty to each of them. Um, Didier Ottinger is a curator at the Pompidou in Paris. And he came over to visit David to have his portrait taken. So he, he got friends from all corners of the, of the world to, to fly across to LA and be painted. And then I have to mention this one. This is um, Rufus Hale, and this is a particular favorite of David's. Rufus is 11, and he is the son of Tacita Dean, who's also a member at the Royal Academy. And Tacita works in photography a lot, and, and she um, was studying at, um, at Yale, at, at uh, the Getty, um, on a sabbatical, and was there with her husband, also an artist, and Rufus. Um, and apparently when he went to school, everyone, and he dresses like this all the time, and when he went to school, everyone thought he was from Harry Potter. They just thought he, you know, they, were, they thought he was so charming in LA. And when Tacita brought him to the studio to meet David, she's actually developed a work um, uh, photographing David. When she brought Rufus there, he was just enchanted, because when you think back to the early po first portrait I sh showed you, the self-portrait of David as a 17-year-old, he's dressed almost the same as Rufus, and there's something wonderfully old-fashioned and of course, Rufus's attire reminded David of himself as a young boy. And he asked Tacita if he could paint him. And Rufus was a wonderful subject. He was very, very engaged in the process, the only person who had a prop. And um, when David had finished, he said to Rufus, did I, how, what do you think? Did I get everything? And Rufus apparently said, well, you missed off that little rubber at the end of the pencil, which David was highly amused by. But it's a fantastic portrait. And again, here is another picture of the studio, but, but with, with all of the painting equipment set up. So um, the, the subject sits in the chair, the, the canvas will go on the easel, and then David has got this, this spread of, of all of his paintbrushes and all of his paints on the trolleys beside him. And what I thought I'd do next is show you the face that you see when David is painting. I was lucky enough to be one of the subjects, and I'll talk about that after this. But when you're sitting there on the chair, the intensity with which he concentrates on what's in front of him is absolutely incredible. And this is a, a very sketchy self-portrait David did in, um, in watercolor a number of years ago. And, and I, I included it to show you exactly what you see. So he looks over his glasses. He slightly narrows his eyes. You see those very, very blue eyes um, staring at you. And it's, it's, it, I've never seen concentration like it. And when he paints, it starts early in the morning. He's very, very disciplined. It starts at 9 o'clock. You're in the studio. 
you you get on the chair. Well, uh, you know, the, the the outfit is kind of checked, and and um, you know, he looks at it, and he was happy with whatever everyone wore. I think there was only one person that wore something that was too flowing, and he said, "Well, that's not very interesting because you can't see your form." You know, it was one of these kind of smocky dresses, and um, so they they changed. Um, and he's so interested in form because another thing that I didn't mention was he tr he did try another chair. So there's a wonderful one of Gregory Evans, who we saw earlier, sitting in an armchair. And we decided not to include it in the exhibition because David pointed out that um, we all sit in an armchair the same way. There's only one way to sit in an armchair, that you kind of sink down and your arms are kind of on the side like that. Whereas in a hardback chair, everyone finds different poses and those poses become an expression of their personality. So once you take your seat and, and determine a pose that you're comfortable with, that he's comfortable with, um, he, he starts. And the first thing he does is to do a charcoal outline. Now, this is my portrait. And he takes photographic records of each of the works as he's, he's developing them. So this is something that is now hidden. But we've actually um, included some of these in the catalogue. So it's, that is the most intensive time. It takes about 40 minutes to an hour where he is um, painting the outline and the chair. And that fixes everything. That's, that's, the, that, that's, the, whole kind of, that's the whole composition. And then the rest of it builds up rather quickly. Here he's done a bit of the face, he's touched in the hands, you've already got an impression about how he's going to tackle the jumper, and then the background colour. And then this is probably the beginning of day two, or middle of day two, where he's really building it up. And what's remarkable is there's, there's total silence when you're doing it, but then he takes breaks, so he'll have a cigarette and sit in a chair opposite the canvas and you'll get down. And he's very happy to talk about it and you'll talk about what he's going to do next. And when you're sitting there, you, you, you can't see the surface of the canvas, but you can see what paint he's picking up, the colour of the paint he's picking up. And the, the, um, the easel is electric, so he's able to move it up and down. So you can kind of gauge with the level of the canvas and the colour of the paint what bit he's working on. So if he's picking up flesh and it's kind of midway, you think, oh, well, he's on the hands now. And, um, and then you know what to look for as soon as you get off the chair. And then that's probably the end of the second day. He found a new um, acrylic after he'd done the first. It was after Larry Gagosian. He found um, another acrylic that was, uh, had a higher gel content, so it actually took longer to dry, so it's got more of the properties of oil. And he was able to go back then and nuance it them a little bit more. So they became more finished and nuanced after that point. And by the last day, it's, it's very tiny strokes. And it is quite incredible to see it, that he'll just do a few strokes under the eyes or, you know, in the brow or something, and it makes such an amazing difference. So for me, as a kind of curator who knew I was going to write and talk about it, this was just the most unbelievable experience. He actually painted two of me. This is the second, and, and um, the first one we didn't put in the exhibition. But it's, it's very good as well. And he I'd, I'd remember the end of this when I said, do you think you've got me? And he said, um, I've got an aspect of you. And he said, and I got, this is the finished one now. He said, I got an aspect of you in the first portrait, a different aspect in this. And he said, if I was to do another one, it would be another aspect of you. When I sat in this pose, he said, God, that's great if you can hold it. And his um, studio uh, staff, Jean-Pierre and Jonathan, laughed because they said, when we see you sitting, talking to David, um, kind of knee to knee in armchairs, that's always the pose that you have. That's always the pose when you're, you're talking to David. And maybe it's knowing that he's deaf, I'm trying to project my voice. 
And it's a very strange thing being faced with an image of yourself because, you know, David talks about our faces belong to other people. They're not ours. We don't know what we look like. We think we do, but we always see a reflection of ourselves. And when you think about how you prepare yourself to look in the mirror or for a photograph, you, you, you kind of somehow arrange your face so that it looks slightly better. And when you're faced with what someone else thinks you look like, it is interesting. I mean, I d you don't expect to be flattered, but it's a very, very interesting thing. I mean, I love it as a work. There's also that moment when you're sitting um, having your portrait painting, painted and I felt that it was my duty to concentrate as much as he was. Not that I ever could. I, I don't possibly have that level of, of, um, of, of concentration, but I was trying as hard as I could to, you know, to really take everything in. And there's also that, that kind of existentialist worry that if you, if you slip into a, a slightly dreamier, zen-like state, you, you won't look like yourself anymore. Somehow you'll, you know, your face will, will your personality Will, will, will be removed from your face, um, all of which is nonsense. But I just think that you, f you feel as if you should be helping in some way, that you're very engaged in this whole process. And I end with a, with a wonderful picture of David. I mean, he's wonderful to spend time with. I've been very fortunate to, um, to get to know him and to spend time with him. But, you know, just going back to the whole notion of portraiture and what he's achieved by this, I, it is a remarkable achievement that he's... Um, physically being able to do this body of work in such a short period of time. And as he was doing it, he kept saying to me, I don't know what I've done. I don't know what it is. And it is a really interesting question that we can ask ourselves. You know, what is it? Is it a conceptual installation? Is it a challenge of photog to photography? And I think it's, it's both of those things. It's many, many things. But I think ultimately, just knowing where it came from and understanding his relationship and his deep love of his friends and acquaintances, it's a celebration of life. I think ultimately, if we had to just sum it up in one phrase, that would be one that he would agree with. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.